Welcome to Social Sessions. I'm joined today with a wonderful guest. She has had past experience with trauma and managed to work with it. To use it as a driving force to help others, she's by far one of the best addiction workers I have had the pleasure of meeting and working alongside. She has an abundance of knowledge in relation to addiction and mental health with services and resources throughout North Lanarkshire and beyond. It's an honour to call her a friend, Becky. How are you doing, Becky? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on today. Excited. Well, it's, it's been a, a wee while on the, you were supposed to be the first and this is kind of went on a wee bit, so yep. it's good to get you in eventually. Um, so I'm just going to kind of take you back to, well, I'd kind of do with everybody and just kind of go into your history. So yeah. what was your childhood like? I know obviously coming old, Becky, so what, yeah. was, what was that like growing up and coming old? Yep, so kind of born and bred Cumbernauld. I've been there all my days, um, 29 now. Just a kind of lower class upbringing I suppose but it was normal to me so I didn't know any different. Um, grew up with my mum, my dad, my two sisters, quite a small close-knit family um, but I just normal, went to school, went out playing. I suppose you don't realise that you're kind of lower class when you're in it um, but I think we, we'll get into more of the sort of childhood, the trauma and the adverse experiences as we go on but Overall, I felt it was normal um, and I enjoyed school. I had pals, stuff like that. All good, really. So, obviously, like, talking talking about your kind of childhood and stuff like that, I know there was a lot of kind of adverse childhood experience and stuff. And yeah. and what was that? Was it just kind of domestic stuff, like, between your mum and, and, and your dad and stuff, Becky? Yeah. Was it that kind of? I suppose, like, the beginning, it kind of goes pre-birth for me um, because, like, I know now that pre-birth can have an impact on you kind of growing up and it's really important those years, the zero to four, Aye. where your brain's developing and you're kind of... You're actually in the womb still. Ah, you're still in the womb. So pre-birth, my mum and dad had been together for 10 years um, before my mum fell pregnant with me. But the relationship had always been chaotic. They were young when they got together. Um, my dad had always had issues with, with alcohol, even when he first met my mum. So for 10 years, they were kind of on and off. Um, and his addiction was active kind of throughout that, Sean. So when my mum fell pregnant, she fell pregnant with twins. Um, and sadly, due to domestic abuse, she lost my twin. Good. So that would have been a lot of trauma. Even just through that, my mum would have been anxious, frightened. So all those feelings I'm feeling as a baby. Um, so it kind of goes pre-birth for me. And then throughout childhood, just really, really chaotic. Um a lot of drama, you know what addiction's right. like. He, my dad was kind of in and out of prison a lot. He was um, under the influence a lot. You mentioned domestic abuse. He was really, really violent when he was drinking, um, violent towards my mum. And although she tried to protect us from that, we know that even if you're not seeing it, right. you, you're, you're impacted, do you know what I mean? You're hearing it. And that, was, that went on like near enough every night throughout my childhood, as far as I can remember. Um, so that would uh, that would obviously affect you a lot, Becky. It's, it's 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 no, it's obviously normal to you, and yeah, it's it's like um, it's amazing the way you've turned out. Considering um, a lot of people don't make it to where you are, Becky, with that that kind of trauma, um, and it's probably a testament to your mum as well. Do you know what I mean? How she's done. So, can you look at it? Was there any reasons? Can you pinpoint like? Because obviously we t we talk about things and we, why things happened. Can you pinpoint like why that your dad maybe was like that or? 
I mean, I don't think anyone could really, Sean. Everybody always said that he was like Jekyll and Hyde. He was such a great guy. Everybody loved him, um, life and soul. But then he would just take it too far. Um, and he became really, really violent, aggressive, blackout, stuff like that. Um, and when that goes on for so long, his family were kind of disowning him. My mum was the only one that was left. And although they weren't in a relationship, um, she couldn't get rid of him, basically. He would come to her house every night. He'd be smashing windows. He'd be shouting. He'd be um, asking for money all the time. He would say he was coming to see us, but really he was there for, for money or whatever he could get. And the police back then weren't really helpful, Sean. Like, neighbours would phone the police. They would come. They knew my dad well. They'd be like, all right, Fritz. They'd take him round to the shop and he'd be back within 10 minutes. Like, there wasn't really domestic abuse services Aye. as much back then. I don't ever remember hearing of them. Um, and my mum certainly was never offered any support. But I think for, like... I've done a lot of work recently, counselling-wise, and trying to look at my dad's history and his background, right. find out more about him um, and why he was the way he was. And I have found out loads, like in terms of the trauma that he experienced, growing up in borstals, um, sexual abuse, stuff like that. And again, just being involved in all that violence, that generation, there was young teams, it was a right. lot of fighting. Um, so he had been be through a, a lot of seems trauma. Seems to be a kind of common um, reoccurrence that's coming up quite a lot in the and even in this podcast is the kind of abuse that um, people, even in that generation, did did kind of receive at the hands of the state. Yeah. Um, when they should have been getting looked after. So it's a shame for you. You must look back and go, how would my dad have even turned out? Maybe in this day and age, yeah. if he'd had the kind of yeah. The, maybe the help that, that, that we offer at Phoenix Definitely. and stuff, Becky, do you know what I mean? Um, so as it's kind of just kind of sad all around how how that kind of manifests, yeah. but just the way you've turned it, it's just brilliant the way I think it's... Okay. Uh, but do you see yourself as a trauma survivor? I didn't until recently. Um, and it's weird because I've worked in recovery for about eight years now and working with it every day but not recognising that you're living with it kind of thing and then like you said things manifest don't they and my childhood I can't remember a lot but I thought oh that's probably a good thing I don't want to remember Aye. it um, it's a protect protective Aye. thing but the more you kind of get older you realise it's manifesting in other ways and like your belief system and how you think about relationships and how this, the world is and how safe people are and stuff like that. You're like, God, my childhood has really impacted me. Like, right. um, And I started to kind of delve a bit deeper and look into counselling and therapy. And that's when my first counselling session, my counsellor said to me, she was like, Becky, you've got PTSD. And I was like, oh. That makes sense, do you know uh, what I uh, mean? Like, finally something clicked. I work with it every day, but I'd never realised. Uh, um, so I now, I would say so, yeah. That It's obviously, it's, I think PTSD, we, we talk about that again a lot. Um, it's, a, it's definitely a, a recurring theme that comes up through the podcast, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just something that kind of, and I think a lot of people just see PTSD and think of soldiers. Yeah. Thank you. People that have maybe like it's Afghanistan, Iraq and stuff like yeah. that. That's where a lot of people, but it's, there's so many people affected by it. Totally. Um, and especially people 
that I've had upbringings like yourself, yeah. Becky, which is really common in, Sc in Scotland. They kind of say it's like complex PTSD because it was like over a long period of time. It wasn't just one kind of significant event. Aye. It was all little events like throughout. Um, so she said it was it was complex PTSD. But as you say, it's like so common. Aye. I mean, the, most people that I work with have got some form of like adverse childhood experience multiple um, or like you say, growing up in the prison system and being abused Aye. there. Um, addiction in general just comes hand in hand with mental health, doesn't it? And it doesn't discriminate, Sean. It can happen to anybody. It's a coping mechanism, really. Oh, no, I mean, obviously, I, I know... I know kind of your background, Becky, and stuff. So, but you, I know you've never struggled with addiction. But would, have you ever struggled with substance abuse? Have you ever went like maybe oh this is get too far and and thought looking back now that was me trying to escape for that? Oh yeah, definitely. Again, doing like life story work, uh, shadow work, all that kind of stuff. I think um, like so childhood was chaotic. It was constant. I loved my dad, I didn't really understand, I missed him a lot, and then when I seen him, it was great, but you can't, as you get older, you realise, like, this isn't normal, my friend's parents aren't like this, or, um, and sadly, like, my dad passed away when I was 12 through a heroin overdose, um, and, like, I remember that, I don't remember much from my childhood, but I remember <laughs> that so clearly. Um, and it's something that I've had to do a lot of work on because it brings up so much emotion still 18 Aye. years later, do you know what I mean? Um, but I think at that point, so I was 12, I'd just started high school. It was a September weekend. Um, and like things just changed like that, Sean. It's it's a weird time anyway, isn't it, when you're starting high school? But um, I, I went off the rails a bit for a good few years, like just out, I was drinking all the time. 13, do you know what I mean? No, Drinking sure near enough it. every night, bottles of Buckfast, trying any drug really, I didn't care. Right. Uh, loads of older boyfriends, getting in risky situations, just, yeah, a bit yeah. of madness myself. Uh -huh. I think that's obviously just, the, it's so natural in that, and I think, can you pinpoint where you, you because a lot of people don't, a lot of people aren't able to change and a lot of people just go, <laughs> keep going with that flow and, yeah. and keep, can you pinpoint when you went, I'm not doing this anymore, like I, I need to stop this? I think it was more gradual, like when my dad passed away, I straight away knew I wanted to work in the field of addiction. I was like, right, I want to help people. That's all I kind of knew. I didn't know what. Um, I want to help people and I want to prevent this from happening Aye. to other people um, because most of the time drug deaths can be prevented. So I think like that, I knew that I wanted to work in recovery, but I didn't know what that meant. I hadn't Aye. really heard of rehabs or recovery organisations. So I thought social work was kind of the route to go down, Sean. Um, so I had like maybe a couple of years of madness. And then I remember going into fourth year and people were all starting to think like, what do you want to do for your future? You need to pick subjects to go to uni or Aye. whatever you want to do. And um, I think there was a teacher that was like, she had done a wee bereavement course with me. Aye. And then she ended up being like the pupil support or something when I was in fourth year, the same teacher. And she was like, Becky, you've always said you want to do social work, like go for it. And I think that was like the catalyst. I went, I'm going to pick the subjects that I need to 
and just get my head down and, and go for it. Um, and I did. So did, did you obviously study, you studied a degree, social, yeah. social, social degree, and then where did you move on? Did you go into social work back after that? Yeah, so I finished school. I went to Stirling University and studied social work. Um, I was 17. I was one of the young, I think I was the youngest that social work young, student right? they'd ever yeah. had, actually. Um, so, yeah, 17, graduated at 21 and went straight into social work. But during the, the uni course, we, we were offered to go to this um, virtual rehab day. And I was like, oh, that sounds right up my street. Like, let me go. Um, so I went to this virtual rehab day. It was at Phoenix Futures. I'd never heard of them. I walked into the place, Sean, and I just had this, like, amazing feel. I was like, wow, this place is, this is, like, transformational. Uh-huh. And I sat in the morning meeting and they were all so open and honest and inspiring. And I remember walking out of that, like that day going, I'm going to work there. Aye. So I already had that in my mind when I was studying social work. Um, then I graduated at 21. I think I went for a few jobs, couldn't get it. They were like, you need experience. And I thought, if I just studied for four years for nothing. Aye. It's strange, but <laughs> see, see, obviously back then, Becky, there was a huge um, demand for social yeah. work. No, it's the opposite. There yep. doesn't, there's a lot of people going into the third sector mm -hmm. because they're not, and obviously we'll, go into, we'll touch on that, but yeah. um, so how was your years, where did you end up in social work? Did you, what department did you work? Did you start in justice? No, no, no. So I wanted to go to justice, but all the jobs were in children and families. And one of my lecturers at uni had said when we all graduated, she was like, if you can do children and families, you can do anything. <laughs> so I was like, right, okay, that'll stand me in good stead then for like the future. Um, so I ended up going, actually, I couldn't get a job for a while. Like I said, they were all wanting experience. I was gutted. I was like, if I just done it, I was back working in the pub that I worked in before yeah. uni. And I'm like, oh my God. Um, and I just thought, fuck it. I'm go I wanted to travel as well. And I thought... I'm going to apply for this voluntary um, overseas organisation. And I went over to Nigeria for three months, went and volunteered over there. And it was probably like the best thing I've ever done still to this day, Sean. Like right. it just opened my eyes massively. I was still young. I was only 21. Um, getting to see like just how other people live. And I was living in a host home, like with a host right. family in Nigeria um, in the jungle, we had no electricity, no water, like basics. Aye. But everyone was so happy. And I was just like, wow, I was taken aback with that. I loved those three months. Um, and so it really the, built the my confidence. There, Do you know what I mean? Becky, what was the scale of poverty oh, in Nigeria? They're living in mud huts. There's nothing. They weren't was, even, their did, births did went registered. There was no healthcare. There was no toilets. Nothing. And there's no, like, the way we kind of <clears throat> see mental health issues. Was that kind of, obviously... Well, it was quite sad, actually, because they believed in, like, witchcraft and stuff like that, right. Sean. So people who had meant clear, like, visibly, you could tell that they had mental health issues, were kind of shunned for the families, shunned for the community, because they thought that they were involved in witchcraft in some way. Do you mean um, stuff like that? So there was some crazy stuff going on, like, people were getting... Uh, sat in tires and set on fire in the middle of the community and all that. Like it was really ba uh, backwards. They were way back. Yeah. Aye. So obviously with that kind of, do you come back to Scotland with a diff totally different outlook? Yeah. 
and come back kind of going. So where, how how do you end up with Phoenix? Is that through that? Do you go back into social work? Becky? Yeah. So like you say, came back so much gratitude, like amazed to see a toilet again. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, no, it was brilliant. I loved it, but came back really like a changed person, more confident in myself and thought, right, now I'm ready to really go into the world of social work. So I ended up getting a job in children and families and I moved down to the borders. So I was working down in Gala Shields. Um, I worked in children and families social work for t- just two years. Um, it was hard. It wasn't what I expected at all. Like no. I thought going in, I'm going to be able to support children, families, I'm going to be hands-on, I'm going to be involved. Um, Supporting families, like your own family, aye, like that's what, you, that's like, what I aye, thought, aye. but it just, it wasn't like that. You get a massive caseload, majority of them are on child protection register, so you have to see them weekly. You're pretty much just seeing them to check, right, they're still alive, that's what it felt like. Aye. Constantly writing reports for the children's reporter, sat behind a computer, no doing actually much meaningful work. Aye. Um, and it was just stressful. It was horrible. I was staying in Gala Shields. Um, so I was away for friends and family. I was working late every night, like trying to get everything up to date and just stressed and like worried about kids, like going home greeting at night, thinking, God, are they going to be all right? It was horrible. Wasn't I, it for me? No, I <laughs> no. Know, and it must have been kind of a wee bit re-traumatising. You must have seen a lot of stuff that, probably brought you back to your own stuff and it, that wouldn't have been good, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. seeing stuff and going, I, that that should be, I know how to step in and I know what they need to know, they need a wee bit of love, compassion, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I can't offer that. But yeah. I think the social work's got a wee bit better these days and they're trying, they're really, really limited in what they can do. Absolutely. Um, but they are trying, but so, how does the move make? How do you go into for there? How do you go into Phoenix, Becky? How does that so happen? Throughout that, those two years, like I had to do the two years to do like your portal thing um, after you've graduated. So done the two years, got that out the road. And during that, I kept checking Phoenix for jobs constantly. <laughs> I had alerts on and all that because uh, I was determined uh, I'm uh, going to work yeah, there. So, um, so finally a job comes up and it was a therapeutic worker post. Um and the Glasgow Residential Service, so the residential rehab that I'd been to Aye. visit on that virtual rehab day. And I'm like, yes, this is this is mine. The lawyer attraction. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at the interview, I remember saying, like, I've wanted this for so long. I came to a virtual rehab day. They remembered me. And I think that's what got me Aye. the job, to be honest. Um but I, I just, I was so happy when I got that job. Like I loved, I loved working in the residential because you were seeing recovery as possible. I was seeing change every day. I'm seeing people coming in literally at rock bottom, like at death's door. And then within weeks, like they've detoxed, um, their confidence in themselves, like just seeing them start to rebuild themselves and rediscover who they are and what they like, what they enjoy, their passions. Loved it. Just loved it. No, I've obviously like, I've I've kind of worked with Phoenix and stuff like that before and Mm -hmm. Um, and the residential and stuff and it was it was an amazing and, and it's humbling and it's grounding and it's like you do see people coming in and you're like they're never going to make this like they have got no chance and then you, you're like a week yeah. in it's a massive transformation yeah um and obviously a lot of people it's not for a lot of people people there's recovery is huge and it's got Aye. a lot of different ways people do different things but um so how how long were you in the resi for 
How long was that? I think about two and a half years, Sean. Um, and like you say, like I'll always advocate for residential and there's not enough funding for residential, but it's no for everyone. Everybody's recovery is different. Um, no, I totally agree with you. And I still work for Phoenix now. And although like usually I'm quite confident talking about Phoenix, like I'll go to talks, I'll go <laughs> and do events all the time, but this is different because nah, nah. it's about me, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but yeah, so worked in the resi for about two and a half years. Um, and then I opportunity came up still with Phoenix but it was like a test of change um, so it had only been funded for a year to see how it would go and it was a prison link worker post Aye. so again I'd, I like to challenge myself, push myself at the comfort Aye. zone and I think I was getting a bit comfortable where I was, I thought I'm going to go for it, if it doesn't work it's a test of change for a year and I can go back Aye. to the resi um, so I went for it and it was like it was good because it was brand new, so I got Aye. to develop the service how I kind of wanted it. And in doing that, I spoke to people with lived experience Aye. to find out what, what do you want, what do you think will work. Um, took time, you know what it's like with prisons, no, <laughs> try no. to just get in and get agreements and stuff like One that. But it was forward, amazing. Back, isn't it? Um, so how, how did you feel going into the prisons, Becky, at the start? Because obviously it's, it's daunting for anybody. Yeah. How how was it like? What was it like the first time you were in? Oh, I was nervous. I remember. I think it was was it Berlin or Adiwell? My first ever like, because I would go up. So the prison link worker post was supporting people pre and post liberation who were returning in North Lanarkshire. Um, so I would meet them like on an agent's visit one to one, and we would start recovery planning, and then I would do gate pickups on the day, support them with housing, social work, medication, all the kind of immediate needs, benefits, you name it, um, and then get them engaged with recovery community services when they Aye. were out. So again, it was good to see like the whole kind of process, Aye. but the first, oh, I, I do remember it was Adiwell actually, and you know <laughs> Adiwell's like fingerprints and all that, I remember thinking, oh my God, like, what's happening in here? <laughs> um, nervous. But you put the face on, don't you? All professional, but no, I was shitting it. Aye, no. <laughs> how long did that go? How long, how long did it take for that blanket to just come away and just... Do you know, quite quickly, because I don't know what I was expecting or if I had made assumptions or stereotypes, I don't know. But once I started meeting people, I'm like, what What was I scared of? Because they're just people. They've maybe done a bad thing. They're no bad people. Aye. And every, t every person that I met had trauma Aye. and I'm like you don't really need to be here you're not a risk to people you you need support so many people are in prison Aye. so many and um obviously we'll go into that in a bit more detail later on but yeah it would be interesting <clears throat> to see how you felt about meeting some of those people and thinking like what are you like why are you see here but was that annoying or I think it is frustrating it still frustrates me now like because addiction's been treated as a criminal justice issue rather than a health and social care issue. Um, You're still punitive in the jail still, systems? Uh -huh, still. still punitive rather than rehabilitating. Aye. Um, and I, I, even like in the community, if I'm working with people and they're on orders and then they get breached because they've lapsed and you're like, well, that's part of recovery. People are going to, it happens, not all the time, but... Most of the time Aye. there are going to be lapses, there's going to be blips, um, and people are getting sent back to prison because of their addiction, basically. And 
I mean, we've spoken about it at length loads of times, and um, there's what you've got to watch is these people are coming out. You're trying to give them support, and they've literally got no support. Like you're, you're, I mean, Becky, some of the people that turn up that we've seen are are like really absolutely nobody, and they're, they're just lost souls. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but what's some of the stories that you can kind of tell, just so the viewers know they can see where we're coming from and we're trying to say, look, this is what's happening. Like, even some of the stories you can remember, a guy's getting out with nothing, like, yeah. with, like, scripts and I stuff. I mean, it's like, still happening. It's happened this week. Still even with the mat standards and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the mat standards are going to be amazing once they're fully implemented, but that's going to take time, especially with the prisons. In terms of the funding and all that, the staffing, like... I, just, I struggle to see it happening. I had Natalie Fisisco <laughs> was on the other day. Yeah. She was kind of talking about the matter standards as well in prison, just saying, Sean, there's been no change at all. Like, there really hasn't. Um, I just kind of see you again empowering an individual, a prisoner, to go down and challenge a doctor. Yeah. To get what you think's the best kind of treatment for you. I know. Do you know what I mean? I just, I mean, we were at that roadshow and yeah. I'm. I can't remember, I think it was SDF or something or whatever, but I asked, I thought it was a, a question that was quite quite a good question. I just kind of said, that guy was saying that, oh, oh in, in prison, everybody's got human rights, blah, blah. And I said, yeah. can you explain to me where that is? And the last, he just went, listen, we're here to be positive today and just move on. Move on. And you're like, don't challenge it. Don't challenge it. We're here to have a, like sort of positive stuff. I mean, it's all well and good knowing your rights, but like you say, you're going to go to the prison healthcare staff or go to the governor and say, "I know my rights." This should be. That's not going to get you anywhere. And they'll just say, "Like I don't care about your rights." Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's not. You're not. People don't understand when you're in prison how. I know. I, how much your rights are curtailed? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Some of the people that you've worked with, would you say they're probably better in a hospital setting or a rehab setting? I de I probably majority of the people I work with, because it is the field of recovery, would be better in like a residential rehab setting because I would say their, their offending history is due to their addiction. So a lot of the time it's like low level, it's shoplifting, but it's continuous, pages and pages of charges, um, breaches of orders, do you know what I mean? It's not high-level stuff, but also just, like, out in the community, if you've got addiction issues, you can't access mental health support. No. Like, they'll say, oh, you need to be abstinent, but that just totally blocks it, doesn't it? Because it's being used as a coping mechanism because of their mental health, but you can't get mental health support until... And it, it just doesn't work, Sean. So most oh. of the people that I work with, I would say... Because dual diagnosis <laughs> is, is still a thing that I believe people don't like talking about. It's like a thing that they go, we don't like to admit that if you've got mental health problems, that causes addiction and the other way about. Once that addiction starts, it causes mental health problems. And trying to separate the two of them is madness to me. Yeah. I don't get it. I used to argue in the prison room. I used to go, why are you trying to separate that for that when that's the same thing? Yeah. Um, and obviously I hope, I don't know, well, I know it's, I, I would say it isn't getting implemented, but um, I would like to hope that, talking to Natalie the other day, it, it, it was quite good to hear that Berlini and all that, Berlini is like probably the most progressive prison in 
Scotland now, which mm. is outrageous. Like ten years ago, that would Berlin no. was like the worst jail. Do you know what I mean? That you didn't yeah, want yeah. And it's, I just don't understand why they don't allow more of this stuff to come in. And I understand the prisons are under a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of scrutiny. They're under a lot of um, there's a lot of kind of security issues and stuff. Yeah. But I've always said that you can't punish addiction and trauma to people. No. And I, this is my belief. I don't know if you back me up on this, Becky, but I believe that once you go into prison, mm-hmm. the behaviours you learn f- follow you then in, in the community and you learn how to become yeah. better at hiding your addiction. A better criminal. Aye, <laughs> yeah. aye. Yep. Basically. Because that's the, the environment that you're in and the people that you're surrounding yourself with and it's it's hard to get out of that cycle again, isn't it? Like people do become institutionalised and then when they're getting liberated with no support whatsoever, and I mean zero, I if you've not got any family um, and you're literally getting it out with your lib grant, like what what do you do? Much as I've got 70. 70 still, uh uh-huh. Out with your lib grant, like what do you do? Because... I've supported people on gate pickups and like ran about all day, eight hours, like sorting out housing, going to social Aye. work appointments, making sure they've got a bank account open, getting benefits sorted. Like it takes forever and it's really challenging. Like people try and palm you off or send you somewhere else. Like it's difficult for me, never mind for somebody who's just come out of prison, might have been in there for a long term sentence and then coming out to no support whatsoever or getting placed in housing that's literally floorboards, no white goods, no bed, like, and then they wonder why people continue to reoffend because most of the guys that I work with will say to me, Becky, it's easier. I'll just go and do something, get lifted and go back to the jail because I can't manage in the community. The boys who say, um, I won't obviously name names, but the boys who we went to not that long ago that was through the work um, and he was was asking if it was a microwave. Yeah. Because he couldn't cook anything. Yeah. And I says, what else have you got in the house? And he went, nothing. nothing. And I went, what do you mean by nothing? Like, have you got, a, obviously, a telly? And I bet he went, no, I've not got anything. He went, it's just like empty rooms. And I was like, I, 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 I couldn't get it. All right, I still could. And it's mad because I, I've worked in, I've worked in that field for so long. And I start, mm-hmm. but it was the first time I'd, I offered with another guy um, for the work. And me and Ian went down mm-hmm. to the guy's house. And there was literally nothing. Mm-hmm. I know. I couldn't believe that. It was like nothing. I was like, this guy's actually, so he always wants a microwave. Yep. He's like, I can't cook my dinner. He says, oh, the young team, I've put my windies in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, They won't fix my windies. Like, and I, I'm just like, I felt so, so Definitely sorry. Definitely don't make he's it doing easy. Now, but he's doing great yeah, now, but he's doing great. I'm proud of him. I know. But um, he, he was, he came to us broke, trauma, with nothing, like no support. Yeah. Um, and do you think, I know it's a hard question, Becky, because you work with both of these work in the third sector, and I hate to say it, but do you think there's, we get a lot put on us for... Oh, definitely. Like, pushed on, like, there's a lot... Sta- lean eye, like, and I think that's because, Sean, like, they, they are struggling statutory services to recruit and retain staff, and I don't know what the reason for that is. Maybe the high caseloads, the the stress, the vicarious trauma. I don't know, but people are not staying in in the statutory posts. No. Um, and like even for myself, years ago, although I was going through my social work, like I remember being in the interview and them saying, "Are you really going to take that pay drop? Like, what are you doing here? Why are you applying for no. that?" And I'm like, well, I'll take it because 
I genuinely am just passionate and I want to support. Like it's not about the money no, when you work that, in this right. field. Um, but I, I think third sectors are getting a lot put on them in terms of like low level recovery organisations. The the one that I work for, obviously today, like I'm here myself, I'm, these are my views right. and stuff, but my views do align with Phoenix Futures right. and the values like I live and breathe it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I, it just, it seems like the now we're being referred like a lot of people with really high risk mental health issues um, that can't get support elsewhere. So they're getting sent to recovery organisations where we'd often like group work, smart right. recovery, low level CBT counselling, like they need more intensive no. support. They need a lot more, but there's so many gaps. There's nowhere else for them to go. What so we try the, our best. <laughs> what is the cues? Say, say I brought to, I brought a guy for you. I was a social worker and I brought a guy to you. The new and I says, look, Becky, try to get a guy, this guy funding. He's like, oh, the place He's chaotic. He's yeah. really, really, I want, any, I, I want him into rehab today. How long, how long have you been talking? Months, 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 six months. So they, six months is a long, long time. And a lot can happen in, in six months. Yeah. So, I mean, does that's, it happen it's, a lot there's then, loads of different residentials showing they all have different waiting times, but in order to get funding, you need to go to an addiction recovery Aye. team, a CAT team, whatever it is, in whatever location you're in. Um, you would be assessed by them. Then there would be another assessment by a medical professional. Then there would be a multi-agency meeting to decide. They're also expecting you to be engaging with supports and kind of like proving yourself to get in when really the people that need residential rehab most are not able to no. engage. Do you know what I mean? Like their life's so chaotic that they aren't making appointments. They're not answering the phone. They've not got a phone. They're no getting letters. Do you know what I mean? Like to attend appointments is is difficult, it's right. challenging for people. Um, and then if you're missing one and you're getting struck off and that's you, like it, it's just a nightmare, but no, it's not easy to get funding for rehab still. There are prison to rehab pathways now that the See, government have funded, which is Natalie great. Was about that as well, um, right? There's also a family residential that Phoenix have that's government funded, so you can go straight in there without having to go and get funding for like a care manager or something. Um, but it's no easy to get into rehab, Sean, and it takes time. There's waiting lists. You need to do a lot of preparation work. Um, and I think, like, with the prison to rehab pathways as well, it's lacking on that preparation. So people are maybe thinking, oh, I'll get out on a tag or I'll get out on an order and go to rehab. It'll be cushy. And then they get there and it's like, that's a lot harder than, than well, prison is. Right. It's so structured, like it's full on. No, well, the rehabs that, that I know of and that I've got experience in, I mean, there's different uh, different kind of rehabs, but in terms of a therapeutic community, like you're on that floor from seven in the morning till seven at night. <laughs> you're at groups Aye. constantly. You're expected to share like your deepest and darkest. Um, it's not easy, but it's worthwhile and it works. I know it works. I've Aye. seen it. Oh, definitely works for a load of people. Like I've seen tons of people coming in, and especially Phoenix Residential. I think it's great, and I think MD should kind of, um, if they ever want to go and look at. It. I, I don't know if they still do the open days and do stuff. They, yeah, yeah. But I would recommend them to go and see it. It's um, and just to see the kind of work because a lot. I know you're passionate about this, Becky, and it's a stigmatizing. There's a lot yeah. of stigma. Yeah. Um, 
with addiction and we talk about it quite a lot. How do you beat that down? How do you kind of, so what kind of stigma do you see, Becky? What kind of, what, what, like if you were trying to explain it, what would you explain yeah. like stigma like for an, for, an, for like an addiction? I mean, it's hard, isn't it? But I think um, the kit, any opportunity I get, like stuff like this to speak up and try and challenge stigma, I'll do because it is still so apparent, like so normalised. Even my friends will say things and I'm like, I'll challenge them on it. And then when you do that, they go, oh, I, I don't know why I say that. Or I use that word, like I hate the word junkie, smackhead, right. all that kind of stuff. Because it's so derogatory, like... If if you're an active addiction and that's how everybody in society views you, how do you view yourself? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you break out of that cycle when everybody kind of shuns you? You know what I mean? You're like the dregs of society. Um, so stigma, just like word choice and stuff like that, I think that does matter. Um, stigma just in terms of the criminalisation that we speak about. Like decriminalise. No. It would make we've been doing this for years. It doesn't work. Like try Aye. something else. Look at other countries that are are more successful and stuff like that. Um, but I there's still a lot a lot of stigma. There's a lot of shame um, attached to addiction. A lot of guilt. So even people in active addiction stigmatize themselves, and that's a barrier Aye. to them accessing treatment because the shame, the guilt, the remorse, all of that 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 comes with it. Um, so. Have you ever had the opportunity to go and see the Nordic model or anything? No, no. I did visit a residential rehab in Italy a couple of years ago. Um, what was the attitude in society there like? Did, could you see that, Becky? Quite similar still. like. To here? Aye, mm-hmm, quite similar. So it wasn't like the Scandinavian? No. No, no. Because in Scandinavia it's amazing to see. I mean, I've only watched programmes and I've, I've like spoke to people that have, have had the opportunity to go, but... Yeah. They see that they see that drug drug addiction and they see um, criminals and stuff is like broken people who yep. just need fixed back up. Yep. But they don't ever exclude them for society. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, once you go to once you go to prison, you can't vote. It's like there's, there's so many things they take off you, and they say you've got all your rights. You've got, and I would I, I honestly would argue to the death to with anybody that that is a lie. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I would be doing my friends in prison, the people that I left behind that I sometimes feel guilty about leaving behind. Mm-hmm. I would be doing the aim at this, like a this, this, totally. a, a this turn, if that's the best word, like, because it's it's not true. It's really, isn't it? You don't have that, um, society is not ready, and I don't think over mm-hmm. here to go, let's put money into the justice, and we would save money. It's trying yeah, to explain totally. that. It's trying to explain... In so, terms of justice and health. I, I know massively, but like you say, that, that, that stigma's just all around us. It still is. Um, and I, do you know what else I hate is like the kind of... The classification and all that, oh, this substance worse than that. Like I'll just right. view addiction as a as a whole. I'm it doesn't matter what the substance is. It's the same thoughts, feelings, behaviours mm-hmm. that are around it. Um, but alcohol, like heroin's worse than this. Alcohol, alcohol, heroin. I'd say alcohol. Alcohol's alcohol worse. Is, I, alcohol is <laughs> yeah. worse. Is, is. Just because it's legal, it's the most harmful. I would say, and Honestly. like we spoke about that as well in terms of. Detoxes, risks of seizures, like even prison, people are not aware. Of people it's full of people that have committed crimes for alcohol. Yeah. Um, but how would I've I've tried? Obviously, I've tried. Well, I've asked this question. It's really really hard. But if I could give you a magic wand, Becky, how would you? 
what would you what would you like to introduce? What would, if you could introduce an so that to get, try and change society's views mm -hmm. on what like what message would you get? I think it's it's things like this, Sean. It's like getting the word out there, try to change people's perspectives, get them to gain a bit of understanding because usually it's just that like a generational thing or that that's what their parents said or thought and they just don't quite understand. Once you speak to them about what people in a... Like, I've never met anyone in all my years working in recovery who chose to be an addict, do you know what I mean? Like oh. like I said, it doesn't discriminate. It can happen to anybody. I've worked with people for all walks of life, all ages, backgrounds. Like, it could be me or you. It could be your mum or dad. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think just getting that different perspective out there, sharing people's lived experience as well. Empathy, compassion, Empathy, do you think that's a big thing? Massive, right? massive. Just showing somebody a bit of care and like actually listening and hearing them, it makes such a difference. See, once you build that relationship with people and you build that trust, that's when they start to like really fly into it and, and their recovery. Boy. When they've got somebody that actually believes in them and is there for them. Um, but I think it's hard to change attitudes into it. I think, like we said, it would need to be totally decriminalised. It would need to be um, like therapeutic communities in prisons and stuff like that, like really rehabilitate rather than just... And absolutely, a bit of restorative justice, mm -hmm. like a bit of re... Because I think, see, like um, we, had, we had David Heyman on here who played Jimmy Boyle. Um, obviously in a sense of freedom and we were talking about Jim, his experience in going into the special unit yep. which is obviously something that very controversial subject a lot of people would say I don't think uh, the worst criminals in Scotland deserve what they were getting in the special unit and I understand that mm -hmm. perspective mm -hmm. me personally I think if you want to change them you need to show these people have never been shown about an ounce of love in their life yeah. so if you want to change them you need to you need to dig deep mm -hmm. Um but even things like that, David was saying it worked so well. Like it, those guys, like just so create, they were so creative. Yeah. They were able to express themselves. Like yep. there was so like through arts, through aye, nature, aye. through music. Oh, definitely, I massive Sean, definitely. Um, so even just bringing that into the community mm -hmm. and trying to get the, I think, I think, I think. I struggle with, because I say it quite a lot and I, I don't like saying it because I don't, I don't, you don't want to make enemies and stuff like that, like with the media and stuff like that, like the red top papers and stuff, but they do have a, they, they, they put a, a negative message a lot. Yeah, always. Um, like when they're talking about drug deaths and they're talking about this and they're talking, it's like, it's like, it's always negative and, yeah. um, I don't know, do you think the media play a part I in think that? The, I think the media definitely play a big part, Sean. Um, and like you say, even with the drug deaths and stuff, I hate it. It's numbers, it's stats, and I'm like, these are real people. I know. This is people's lives. Like, and what the, was it? Because I know you'll be, you'll probably be able to know, Becky. But I'm putting you in the spot here. It but reduced what was it, like? it reduced again. Well, for Scotland, it's reduced again, but just not enough, Sean. I think right. can't even remember the exact number, but it has decreased, which is good. But I don't know if that's just because the previous years were during COVID as well. Aye. Um, I think it'll increase this year, but do you with the street volume and aye. stuff like that? We're obviously talking about the street volume later, but I think yeah. I think they're um, 
I think they'll shoot. I think they're going to shoot it, shoot it through. It's every week. Every week I go into work. It's just somebody else. It's so hard um, to go into. And that's only one area. Yep. So this is happening Scotland wide. Nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's the drug deaths. Are, it's horrendous. Our statistics in Scotland, like that, should really be a epidemic. Like get people, but doesn't it? Uh, Why do you think the the the, the drug death? We've got the worst cocaine consumption I think in Scotland mm -hmm. yeah um and we're kind of privy to getting um reports and stuff like that that will tell us which stuff is like stuff that's coming up and obviously we're hearing new fentanyl's coming here uh, crystal meth starting yeah. to make it and crack cocaine is just blown yep. out of proportion um how where do you think, why do you think the drugs have changed? Do, 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 can you see a trend in it, Becky? Drug trends are always changing, aren't they? Like, um, I think more recently, like you say, the Street Valium, it's just horrendous. Like, don't know why they're called Street Valium. They've got no diazepam in the majority of them. Um, well, we're going to sh I'm going to show, I'm going to try and put a wee photo up, Becky, just to show the viewers, mm -hmm. like, actually how many... And it's not even a tizzyland because a lot of people call that now. That's what people call yeah, it. Oh, a, a tizzy, a tizzy. It's it's banazala and it, yeah, I, there's. I mean, I could have glanazalam and there's like how many? Oh, the lambs. So many lambs and <laughs> yeah. pams and, um, but it is. It's just changing constantly. Constantly, and, I think the crystal meth. A lot of that I heard was like coming from the sort of like gay scene and stuff in London. Right. Um, apparently, like G time parties i've been on training and stuff like that um but recently i have actually heard of it in like the north lanarkshire area as well uh, crystal Matthew i yep um and the and the gay community what is that like is that is that quite destructive in the way like highly addictive is it highly addictive and i think like short lasting as well so you're using a lot and if you're injecting a lot, then similar oh, to crack cocaine, is it an inject you can inject as well. Inject so if you're injecting a lot, then you're at higher risk of bloodborne viruses, of infections in the injection sites, things like that, Sean. So I think, because, like you say, with the co crack cocaine as well, it's so short-lasting that you're having to use more regularly right. than you would if you were injecting heroin. And obviously, normal cocaine use... Mm -hmm. um, Scotland seems to have normalised that, I think. No, no, normal, um, you're saying, because it is that normalised. It's yeah. not like, I don't, I'm, I've, I've, I've had James Dockery on here, and James James will put a good argument across with any kind of thing, and he's he's no for decriminalisation of drugs, okay. and he, he'll give a good argument for yeah. it. I, I believe that you should decriminalise it, and you should be allowed to take stuff and regulate it, yeah, and stuff like that. Um, that's my opinion. I know it's controversial, but it's everybody's entitled to their opinion. Yeah. Um, but the way cocaine is the new, and it's young boys are dying, mate. Like, like young boys, we're hearing like quite a lot of young boys are dying. Especially like where, where we're from, and maybe I not know. directly from cocaine use, but the way that it impacts your whole life, your family, Aye. your finances, your job. But like young guys are just sitting in their rooms snorting coke their cell all day, like it's got to that stage. Um, and the cost of it, so the, the debt that you end up in, uh, a lot of suicides related Aye. to either 
losing family, lot. losing jobs, no Aye. having money, being in a lot of debt. Um, yeah, horrific. Just and like you say, young males. And I think if you can what if you see the we see the trends quite a lot in the way that cocaine use kind of maybe when they're like maybe late twenties maybe sometimes starts changing into maybe downers and stuff because they, your body doesn't repair the same way it did when you're like 19, 20. No, no. So people start using downery drugs to come back up, which yep. then introduces that side of drugs to people yeah, that definitely. maybe they didn't see. And then that's how you end up with people. Some people like, I'll tell you, I never took heroin. I was yeah. 32 and 33 and you're like, I know, but you were rattling. Mm -hmm. drugs right up into that, do you know what I mean? But apples mm -hmm. and, and then till your body couldn't handle it basically anymore. Yeah. And I think like <clears> the <throat> drug death stats that were just out last week, um, the, the majority of drug related deaths were males between that kind of age bracket, Sean, that 35 to 45 age bracket. Um, and some people are quite shocked by that, but I'm not, like you said, because the drug trends change, but also people's substance of choice changes as well. Aye. Um, most of the drug deaths are involving a number of poly substance use, so a number of different substances Aye. at the one time. Um, a lot is, an opiate into a benzo, that's like the kind of big one, Like, yeah. but cocaine is definitely oh, yeah. shooting up into yep. it like because of the crack cocaine. What would you see, obviously there's, there's going to be people watching this and going, well, don't take it then. I know. Uh, yeah. Just don't take it. Like, if you don't want to take it, what would you say to that? Because like, I... I know what I would say I said I say addiction chooses you. Yeah. Um I you don't see any healthy minded person with an addiction. Nah. Um so what would you say, Becky? What would I'd you say, say they're very lucky to never have been touched by addiction, either personally or through family loved ones. Uh, very lucky. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you say, I I've never seen addiction in isolation. It always as a coping mechanism to mental health, anxiety, trauma, um, PTSD. And initially it works because in the short term, addiction's an escape, isn't it? You're using to escape or to suppress something or to forget about what's going on for you. Um, so, yeah, I'd just say they're very lucky to never have <laughs> actually experienced it and had to well felt that they've had to use a substance to cope and manage with, with everyday life. Because obviously part of your job, Becky, we need to navigate families and that sometimes as well. Yeah, and, and it's hard. That's, I, I, I'd say that for me, that's the hardest. I don't, I hate talking to people with my, isn't it? Like, I love talking to them, I, I love giving them support, but I, it, it definitely upsets me the most. Yeah. Um, in the way that I can, I can kind of, um, get upset in the way that I'm like you can just see the mother on the other side of the phone like worried don't think sick. the people in addiction like it is quite selfish in addiction because you don't realise how no. much it's impacting the people around you and like you say we've got poor family members who are like stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't want their son or their daughter to die but they're withdrawn, so they're going to go out and they're going to give them the money or they're going to go and get it themselves and put themselves into risky situations, picking up drugs for their family member. Um, well, look at that. I mean, I've said it before. See, the, the thing that annoy, that's annoying me the most 
mm-hmm. and the whole thing the new Becky is the way the GPs are acting with the street Valium. They're telling people to detox herself. Reduce yourself. Which is like that's so against the Matt standards. Like Matt standards, um so they're saying they're saying that there's no drug that can detox you. I don't believe that. I believe that diazepam an expensive drug, I know that. Xanax and all that, they're expensive. But there's no way that if you were to if you're on a hundred street Valium or whatever, there's no way that if you took like eight Eight blue Valium, which is eight, eighty milligram, is is the maximum you can take a day. Yeah. For a, for somebody, if you knew they were taking that amount, you could verify. It. You could put that up to ten, maybe. And I'm I would believe that would hold you. I believe it would. Mm. So why are these doctors? Why are these doctors saying that? Because their benzodiazepines they'll hold each other. We know that. I I, I strong I strongly believe that. I don't believe. I think telling somebody to go out and commit a GP going. Go back out there and commit a crime. I know. And buy drugs off a drug drug dealer, and then wean yourself off them. Yourself. Is don't I think you'd be at your lot, GP man. asking for support if you could manage you know that I mean? yourself. It's madness. You? It's like walking into yeah. a but hang going to get cancer and that. Well, do you know today? Good didn't Mexico sell it? You need to try and get through the border, but Americans don't really like you going through that border. That's what it's like. It's like you're asking somebody to go and commit a crime to get the drug that they need yeah. that you can supply. Do you know what I mean? You could supply these people with an alternate. Yeah. And I'm I'm not saying that it's going to work for everybody. There's going to be deaths, Becky. But the way that these street valley are working the new it's just wild, man. Yeah. It's, like it's not it's uncommon for people to say, I'm using between a hundred and two hundred no. a day. No nobody would do that. Like do you know what I mean? Like when people say, Oh well just don't take Nobody's saying that. Completely, completely. Like people are losing days and just waking up completely out of it. They've been assaulted. Do you know? It's just it's complete madness. Like you wouldn't choose to live like that. No. Um, But like you say, they're they're just kind of saying, oh well, there's no replacement for it. There's no detox. So just continue to buy what you're buying and reduce gradually. And I'm like. They can't manage that. I think what you see as well, and I'm not trying, like, I've not tried this alcoholism or anything like that, but, and not, certainly not every person with alcohol problems are like this, but I've seen people with alcohol problems and maybe like gambling problems and stuff hmm. differentiating themselves from yeah. drug addiction and saying, I'm not, that's not me. I am, but I wouldn't have stuck that. Oh, I'm like, better than that. Yeah. And, but, you're still here, you're still drinking two and three bottles of wine a night and you're chaotic. You're you don't your family your fellow your family you're, it's the exact same thing yeah. which has happened to you, only this guy's got nobody. Yeah. Usually. The guy with the street uh-huh. balance no got any sport. Um it comes into that kind of classification again, don't know, don't it? Like alcohol's all right because it's legal and it's normalised and it's part of our culture. It's part it, of our uh, culture, isn't it? But oh heroin use, no, I would never do that. Um, never say never because uh, it could it could happen. Oh, I um, see loads of times. But I alcohol, God, Sean, like we speak about it all the time, just how harmful it actually is, um, and especially if you are dependent on alcohol to then stop. I think it, it's it can kill you. It, it's the whole thing. The whole structure of it is like um, take cannabis for example, which is an illegal drug. Um, that that wouldn't make you like lose your inhibitions and do things that you wouldn't do yeah. so, like 
bad things hurt people and all that when you're like mm-hmm. the, when you're when you're on drinking mm-hmm. and commit crimes that you wouldn't commit. Um, just behave totally different. Cannabis Out doesn't need to do that. I'm, and I'm not no. I'm not advocating like everybody I, I, I smoke cannabis. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that, but I'm just meaning. You, why? How can you possibly say that's illegal, but that's that's legal? And the only thing it comes down to is money and tax, and we can get money after this. Yeah. And I think they'll eventually date with the cannabis and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I just it annoys me sometimes when you see how the playing field is, and you go, "It's rigged, man!" Like it's, and I don't know. It's like how how do we get to the grassroots? Do, because obviously we done that thing not long ago, Becky, when we went to the the place with the students. Yeah. And we got great feedback for that. Mm-hmm. And that was quite dark. Both of us told our stories. Um, and it wasn't we, lighting up. No, it wasn't lighting was up. <laughs> but they, they actually came back and said to us, that, was the, that, was, the, aye, that yeah. was the one they, they were listening to most. Yeah. And that's young, the young people of the day. And... When the guy did kind of leave, or I don't want to say too much, but when the guy did kind of leave the room, they did open up a wee bit. Yeah. And they told us, they, 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 they know about street pallium and they day know about ketamine and they day yeah. know about... And these are young people at 15, 16, going out and starting apprentices, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this normalising drugs in the cup, I get where people would say, no, you can't. But I think it's... Do you think it's the kind of like dark CD side that's pushing it pushes it that way so that you don't get help I, I don't know it's it's hard to say isn't it I think like the stuff that we do going out to these different services these organisations shouting about recovery sharing our own experiences um, really like changing perspective like you said they were all dead like engrossed right. and listening and great feedback after it. Um, I don't know, it's just about trying to change people's minds, change perspectives. Like growing up with the the media always kind of demoralising and criminalising and just putting a different stamp on it, isn't it? And really, Aye. I don't know, Sean, how we go about it. Like you say, it's hard, isn't it, when somebody says, oh, if you have a magic wand, what would you do? I know. Um, as it's like you say to everybody what would, what would you do then and yeah. even if people say to me so what would you do then I'm like I, I don't know like, I'm, I know where, where I, do I, you I start like full to, revolution because like, that, yeah, that's what we need it. and um, we had Natalie on the other day and she was going to like burn it down and start again <laughs> start, and, that and, is and I get, start as it's like it's, it's, I get where she's coming from but because yep. it's um, it is kind of like you're just the system's just and like you just... said, there's so much red tape like to try and get anywhere. You, ideal it would be like start from scratch. I know. Wouldn't it? Because when you go into you go into prisons and all that, and obviously Phoenix is lucky, lucky enough to get into prison, which is really grateful for. Yeah. And um you, I try my hardest not to diss the prison system because I don't I don't I don't like that I know how hard that I I really do know how hard that is. But the prison systems are messing now, and it's not their fault. It is yeah. the, it's the drugs, and it's all the different kind of spice and all that. It's this kind uh-huh. of stuff that's ruined it. But the the staff are terrified as well now. So, take trying to take just to talk about the prison system just for a wee bit, Becky. Mm-hmm. What what would you do 
in there to kind of would you would you we'll talk about rehabilitation wings maybe yeah stuff like that but how do you how do you break somebody down that doesn't want to be broke down if that makes sense mm-hmm. that's still got that kind of well you have to in that environment have the bravado or have that mask on don't you um i've seen you breaking people down but that it, takes t- it does take time though like you genuinely would need to have the time to do that one-to-one work and really build up a trusting relationship and um, be consistent do you know what i mean like if you know it yourself if your worker's constantly changing you're not going to get anywhere with them you're not going to open up and be honest with them um, so once you've built that relationship and they can rely on you that's when you start to see like oh wait a minute maybe i could actually change here like and it, it's just little by little and it gradually opening up using the the theories that that have been around for years right. like in terms of phoenix um and really like doing the the deep inner work like the all the shadow work the life story work the stuff that they want to avoid that they've been suppressing through using for years and years is the stuff that they really need to talk about aye because you need to obviously hit trauma head on yep um and it's very hard because you hit that trauma head on you're going to feel it but that is the only way you need to fight through it you need to you need to push yourself through it but a lot of guys that I knew in prison are so traumatized, but they don't, don't realize. Realize, it. and I'm I'm talking about guys that are dangerous guys and stuff like guys who would see their cell as like I'm not scared they like en- like anything and would fight with Goliath. By the way, but it is all fear but based. It's fear based. Always, and we were talking about that. Me and James Docherty were talking about that and just saying yeah. how that's. It is actually like fear that, that's driving Drives that. It. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But people don't realise that. Um, and it's trying to tell somebody that's that, I don't know, it's that macho nature and that kind of That's all they've alpha known. Male how do thing. you I, break how it, do you break, break, it, break it down? It down. I've know. seen you doing it. I have seen you doing it with a few people. Yeah. I'm not saying like... You're, a, you're like the mother Teresa of, <laughs> of addiction, do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that, but I'm, I've seen you breaking down characters that I've said, I don't think you'll get through to him, Becky. Yep. So it is I'm interesting persistent. to hear. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Persistence is key. I know. But, uh, no, it's interesting to hear that that's what you, you think that, that it needs to be more one-on-one because that's Aye. what they're lacking in. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, even the now, we do a lot of group work, but people need that one-to-one, Sean, they do, because although groups are good and you can relate to one another and you can learn from each other, you can share ideas, suggestions on how do I do my recovery, how, what works for me as a distraction technique or relapse prevention techniques and stuff like that. Like, group work's amazing, it's got its place, but for the people that you're speaking about who have got these really deep-rooted traumas and don't recognise it or don't want to recognise it, they, they need that intensive one-to-one work. It has to be consistent. You have to be persistent. And I think, like, a really massive part of it is that lived experience, and I always will advocate for that because even, like, myself, although I've no got direct lived experience, right. I've got that indirect for a family member's perspective, I'm happy to share that with the people I work with right. because it breaks down the barrier right away, Sean. I do it as well. I, I kind of just say, look, and just yep. tell my story as well and, and let people hear so they know. I think 
when they hear that you're you've been through it, there's a kind of acceptance there that yeah. you get me. Yeah. And I'm not saying that I've seen a load of workers that don't that haven't had that that and are great workers. Do you know to, what I mean? Yeah, Especially absolutely. in Phoenix, like like Jan and all that. Like there's loads of them yeah. who are great. Um, but it's there is a certain element when you go into a prison setting and stuff that a lot of people go she and and it is a lot of work. It's a, mm -hmm. you need to take a lot of flack and a lot yeah. of people testing you and trying to. Oh, I people I mean? really I, like to try and push the boundaries, don't they? But you need to just. I think you need to be confident in yourself, and like I think my passion just drives me, Sean. Like definitely. Um, and I think people can see it and they can feel it, and that's why they maybe do respond to it, Sean. I don't. I don't know. I've never. I've never had any issues in the prison, like even on one to ones, running the recovery cafes. Never really respectful, really engaging, like just grateful for the support. Aye. Never had any issues. I think that's just you, but Becky. I think you are are, are are quite special in that way, where you've got that kind of thing about you, where. People do take to you quite easy. You're you're very understanding, very empathetic, very compassionate. But is that no is that no the definition of the worker that we would look for then? Yeah. If that's yeah. the definition of the worker that's working, why do we no have that type of worker? Someday let's why do we have people in these places like in prison that are so I mean, we've met them before. Yeah. Give them bread and water. I don't, I wouldn't give them nothing, blah, blah, blah. And I, know. I listen, they're entitled to their opinion again. It's it's all about Why opinions. Why are you working in that field, That's in that environment that, where they views? It just, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's like going to be a teacher and you hate Wayne's, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> why would you put yourself in a prison system? Um, but I, I can see wee things turning and hopefully it's changing and... I just, because it is a message, and I hate, I, I hate saying it, but it's like, if there was, if we had a hundred Beckys working in the jail, Thanks. do you know what I mean? No, but we would, if, the, if the, we would have a much better success rate. And I think that is probably all that, the difference between, not. I think that's with Norway, if you went, you'd probably see that there was people there full of passion, full of compassion, empathy. Yeah. You would see all these traits and attributes and the workers. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the difference would be. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you ever watched that. It was like the hardest prisons in the world or something like that. It was a boy for Liverpool. He'd done like, I don't know, I think he'd done like 14, 15 years for an armed robbery. But it went all the I've different jails, Russia and like uh, Venezuela and like uh, all these really hard jails. Yep. And then in the very last episode, they went in Norway. And it was like, it's fancy, it's like a hotel. Uh -huh. And he got off the bus and he was like, right, I'm ready to get like, kind of turkeyed up here, I'm ready <laughs> to go. And they went, hi, how you doing? Shook his hand, yep. Dave, you just come up and he says, it totally disarmed me. Mm -hmm. Straight away, I was like, like I, I was on the back foot because they, it's hard to be, it's hard to be like nasty to somebody who's been nice to you. Yeah. That is, it's hard to, for people, it's hard. Yeah. For, somebody's been nice to you, it's hard to be, so like instead asshole, of that you know them I mean? and us and that constant aye. battle, it's like just being equal and aye. aye. I mean that is a radical thing for the oh, Scottish prison yeah. system because I know that that us and them thing's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Um but it's it's just chipping away at it and like trying to break down the barriers and, and stuff like that. Um that that we can do, Becky. That's the only kind of stuff that we can do. Yeah. Um 
So another kind of controversial subject that some people don't like to talk about is harm reduction. Mm -hmm. um, people say, why would you say, why would you tell somebody how to safely use uh, equipment? Why would yeah. you tell somebody, why would you give them needles? Why yep. would you give them this? What would you say to that, Becky? I think, well, just to reduce the harms. Like, I, I was doing the lock zone training last night. Um, you do get backlash for, for things like that, Sean. Um, but again, I've, I'm going to advocate for it. If it can save a life, then... Same. I, I would do you know what I mean? Advocate. And everybody's recovery is different. Recovery doesn't always have to mean abstinent, in my view. Like, these are my personal views. But some people's some recovery people? is controlling and managing their use and doing it in a safe way. Mm -hmm. And if that's working for them and they're no impacting anybody else and they're no harm to anybody else, then the, why, why have you got a problem with that? Um, so no, I would totally like agree with, as you said, like the provision of safe injecting, maybe safe injecting rooms. I know they've they've kind of tried and tested it in a few different places. Um, anyway, that's going to reduce harms, like even just of bloodborne viruses, right. HIV, stuff like that. Again, these these are having an impact on the healthcare system and stuff. So why wouldn't you want to? No, no. I it's, it's people don't understand that if you were to take away a lot of the money that we spend on people who are going in, and it sometimes it's you're talking about guys that are getting like wounds and stuff, yeah. for, um, injecting and stuff like weekly. I know. They're going to get cleaned up and stuff uh -huh. like that. It's a lot of money. Nurse care, you wound care, presenting at A&E constantly. Yep. And it's, um, they must, and it's, uh, we, it, we see a lot of people that they go, they have these kind of, like, for the better word, they're a season ticket at the hospital, do you know what I mean? And they're doing there constantly. Yeah. And you're like, what? Why the? Why is there no? There's nobody even at that side yeah, of the NHS. No follow up. Like no. people attempt suicide, be hospitalised and then discharged the same day with no support. Like I've had guys walking home for the hospital in bare feet after a suicide attempt, just papped to it and no mental health support. And again, that's the kind of stigma and how you're treated so differently if you've you've Aye. got addiction issues. If that was somebody with an addiction issue. Would they have been treated the same way? Probably not. I know. Um, but I, it's just, it's horrible, Sean. Some of the the stories that you hear, or the people that turn up at, at your door looking for support, and they've just been like. And what kind of stuff can happen to you, Becky? Like, um, if you're if you're smoking a lot of crack cocaine, if you're taking a lot of like uh, street Valium, mm -hmm. if you're taking a lot of whatever, mm -hmm. what kind of um, medical kind of stuff can this induce can it induce psychosis and stuff oh, like that absolutely i think like particularly with the the street benzos the new we don't know what's in them so but yeah psychosis seizures um really scary stuff as well but i suppose like lower level even just snorting cocaine if you're sharing a note or you're sharing a store whatever you're using you're at risk of bloodborne viruses. Aye. Like people don't realise that. I know. Um, like when I will offer somebody to, oh no, I don't need that. I don't inject. You don't need to inject to be at risk of of a Aye. bloodborne virus. Um, ketamine and stuff like that. Again, quite normalised. Young people are using it often. Don't realise the impact that can have, like on things like your bladder. I know. Um, and again, like cocaine. 
people just don't get. Like you're putting these chemicals into your brain. And and it's depleting. Do you know what I mean? It's it's just madness. But people don't have that understanding right. of the risks. So again, with harm reduction, like no to put the fear of God into people and say, "Oh, don't use drugs." Like people are going to use right. drugs, but do it as safely as you possibly can. Right. Get your drugs tested. There's a uh, that wedding us that you can go online, put a wee code in, send your drugs away for testing. And they'll hang it back to you. Like, do it as safe as you possibly can if you're going to do it. And I, I don't know, I, I might be wrong here, so don't quote me on this, but I'm, like cream fields and stuff like that. I don't know if cream fields do, but I know Tomorrowland and... Do the drug uh, testing, you, don't you they? Go up, we are, if you've got ecstasy and stuff like that, they'll yeah. test it for you. And um, Amsterdam and all that, they, do you know what I mean? They'll test. So um, we've got a conservative government who don't really live in our shoes um, running our kind of health policy and the structure of our health. I know Scotland's got most of the powers. I don't know, I might be wrong, but I think Scotland, is we, we, is the health run by Westminster or? Is I think it's still a bit of both, is it a bit to of be both honest with the NHS. Uh -huh. I don't think we could just turn around. I think we We're tried, going to do this, I, like, I... We tried and I think, it, Westminster stopped. I don't know if it, but I, th I know we were trying to, there was, they were going to bring injection rooms and all that. I think Glasgow. they did pilot one and there was also like a, a safe injecting van that was going about in Glasgow as well, but I don't know if that was government, if I don't know. Um, but I, I'm all for it, like definitely. No, if we can save it, see if we can get that number, because that number needs to come down. what was it? It was like 1,300 and now it's down to 1,109 or something, Aye. I think. We can check it and put Aye. the I'll get the quotes, up. I'll get the stats. I mean, it's reduced, but still not enough. No. So it's, it's a lot of deaths for, for Scotland, but... I mean, it's three, three four a day into it, man. Like, and it's for such a small country. I know. Um, and then if you start looking at American statistics, you don't even want to look at them. Like, that, the, the opiate epidemic over there is outrageous, but... Yeah. Um, and I would kind of see MD go and watch Dope Sick and stuff like that. And that new yeah. one, I don't know if you've seen the new one. Is I it just watched it as well. Stuff, something like that? No, I've seen that as well. But there's another one that's just out, Sean. Netflix, it was really good. But no, I was, well, I was in America recently this year in San Francisco. Like, I was blown away. It was scary, actually. Aye. Scary. So, see, just as we're kind of coming up to the end of the podcast, Becky, right, um, I always kind of try and say to people, like, because obviously you've got a platform, you're really knowledgeable, you're, you've got a, you're, 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 a, you're a manager in a kind of addiction place. Um, what would you see MD suffer in silence out there that's maybe no willing to come forward and like that, even somebody yeah. who's drinking too much alcohol, what would you say to them, Which, what message would you pass on? I'd just like say, please, please speak up. Like, please reach out. There is support out there. Even if you, like, you, mm, this might be problematic for me. Like, now's the time. Or even if you've had a long-standing addiction and you think, oh, I'm never going to be able to do it. Right. Like, you can do it at any time. I've seen people who've had 30-year heroin addictions turn their life around. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is possible. So I would just say reach out. There is support available. I don't know if you'll share like after the podcaster details as well. Like I'm half always got people messaging Aye. me, but I'm I'm happy to, to speak to people and try and support, signpost, refer wherever I can. Um, 
that first step's the hardest, like admitting, okay, I have got a problem here and I need some help. It's the hardest part. And see for somebody Once you do that, that, it's that it maybe gets sitting going, Oh, um, I'm I'm all right, not but doubt that that first wee bit of doubt. Yeah, get, get, go for the help into it. Yeah, I think like so. That first if you're questioning it, and you then... might even be able, you might get a great phone call that they go and all listen. I think you're actually all right. I think you're over worrying here. Yeah, yeah. But if there's checking. a wee bit of iPad annoyer around it, Aye. I would definitely just seek a wee bit of support. Speak to somebody about it. Um, as I said, that there, there is support available. It's out there. You just need to know about it, don't you? And definitely. Sadly, people don't. So. Us doing this Aye. today will hopefully get get the word out there, even if it helps one person. Like I'm happy, definitely. Um, but yeah, just always sharing that message. Recovery is possible. Anybody can do it. Like, because people who are in active addiction feel like they can never get better. They can never change, Aye. don't they? They feel stuck, lost, isolated. Um, so yeah, just reach out, speak up. I think people don't, the thing that people don't realise the most is the the lack of support. I think if people seen the lack of support, and I think hopefully if social sessions can move on a wee bit, we're going to try and do some sort of wee kind of documentary to kind of show some of the guys that are living in um, like complete addiction and in the, in the midst of addiction mm -hmm. to kind of show the, the viewers this is this is true life yeah. for these people. This is what's real life. We've done a uh -huh. podcast yesterday with Davey, who was really brave, who came on um, and was great. And it was a very, it was a sad, sad podcast, but a powerful message. I think that's the most powerful, isn't it? Like people need to hear that. They need to hear the the real nitty gritty and like get to the root causes, like Aye. the deprivation, the poverty in Scotland, the. It is just so normalised. It's part of our culture. Like we really need to dig deep and speak about the hard stuff um, to get a reaction, to get people's minds changing, to start challenging that that stigma. Um, I think it's it's so important. It's so valuable speaking to people with lived experience, and I just find them so inspiring. Like the the people I've met along the way and work like just such an inspiration to me do you know what I mean like Aye. how much they have been able to turn their life around and re like rediscovering themselves and their talents and all that and it's just it's amazing it, it happens every day it's possible it's amazing to watch, yeah. it's amazing to watch. Um, so just as, before we finish Becky have you, is there any topics that like that we've missed out that you want to cover or I don't think so, Sean. Like I said, I'm just kind of freestyling it today, know. but because we know each other, we talk about that stuff all the time. Thing. Just feels like a casual chat. Um, but just thanks, like, for giving me the opportunity to come on. You know, I love all things recovery and justice. Um, and as well, tomorrow is actually Overdose Awareness Day. Right. Um, so, again, to promote that. We're doing a wee thing in Coat Bridge, just meeting on the main street, doing a procession. Um, we've got roses and a wee book and memorial and stuff like that. But I think, like, for me, I suppose, like, my experience and losing my dad is what my driving force, do you know what I mean? Like, that's why I'm so passionate right. about it. Um, so, yeah, to remember my dad tomorrow, that's what I'll be doing. Brilliant. And please, uh, I, hope, I hope you have a great day, Becky, and as okay. good as you can. And um, remember the good times of winter and just kind of... Thingy. But what we'll do is we'll get on our, 
on our social media platforms, we'll get Phoenix stuff up so yep. that they can kind of go and look. Anybody that's Absolutely. needing any kind of advice, um, and we'll get all the kind of on our Twitter and stuff like that, and we'll get all that on. Yeah. Uh, no, Sounds just good. thank you for thank you very Thanks much, Becky, for, for coming me. on. Been brilliant. Thank, thank you. you.